Well, now we're going to turn to our uh, final segment for this evening. Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, the most powerful court in New York that very few people uh, have paid much attention to. Of course, we talk a lot about the U.S. Supreme Court and all the terrible rulings that have come out of there uh, recently. Um, but New York's uh, Supreme Court has also taken a conservative turn in recent years. It's been stacked with Andrew Cuomo appointees. And, uh, um, but that's, there's now a, a chance to go in a different direction. Uh, the Chief Justice of the New York Court of Appeals, that's what this court is called. Uh, the, the, it's a seven member court and the Chief Justice, uh, Janice DeFiori, an Andrew Cuomo appointee, uh, announced she would be stepping down uh, last week, uh, the news was unexpected. She still had more than three years left on her term. The court is, uh, divided three to three, or it's divided four to three right now in favor of a conservative block. But Di Fiore was a member of that conservative block and she's now leaving. So there's a chance for the court to go in a different direction. And also our, our, uh, our next guest, uh, uh Matthew Thomas, uh, he's looked into, uh, misconduct by another justice. Uh, Madeline Singus, who was appointed uh, last year by Cuomo in the dying days of his administration, and he's been closely tracking her career and uh, what he says are her many uh, misdeeds and is urging uh, the state legislature to consider impeaching her and uh, creating another opening on the Supreme Court. So we want to hear all about this. And uh, Matthew, uh, thank you so much for joining us. He's the author of the Vulgar Marxist uh, newsletter. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, so we're going to want to talk more about the Supreme Court and the role, important role it plays in New York, or I'm sorry, the Court of Appeals and the important role it plays. But can you talk, first of all, about Madeline Singus and, and what uh, new revelations you've come up with from uh, burrowing into her uh, financial reports and other information uh, that wasn't uh, widely available when she uh, uh, was uh, confirmed for the court last year? Um, yeah, so Madeline Singus is a career prosecutor. She began her career in the Queens District Attorney's Office, uh, eventually moved to the Nassau County District Attorney's Office, and she worked her way up, was a senior prosecutor in that office for a number of years um, under Kathleen Rice. And then after Kathleen Rice ran for Congress and was elected to a congressional seat out in Nassau County, Madeline Singus um, was elevated to acting district attorney in 2015, and she ran for full term and was elected to a full term in her own right in that year, in 2015, um, and was reelected thereafter. Um, and she was ran and reelected as a Democrat and won by significant margins, um, despite, you know, sort of the waxing and waning fortunes of Democrats in Nassau County. Um, as a prosecutor, she pursued tough on crime policies, a very aggressive approach to prosecution um, in terms of uh, the level of charges that she would pursue um, and that sort of thing. And so when she was nominated for an opening on the Court of Appeals in 2022 by former Governor Andrew Cuomo, uh, a lot of people on the left objected to her nomination owing to her very aggressive history of prosecution and the way that she sort of approached her job as district attorney of, of Nassau County. And so there was a lot of resistance to her nomination. Um, but unfortunately, there was not enough will in the state Senate, which has to confirm the governor's nominees to the court to resist her. And so she um, has been on the court for the past 
a year now. Um, and in that time, she has established herself as one of the members of the conservative block of four, four conservative judges that have really pushed the court in a more right-wing direction. Right. And what, what did you uh, find uh, that you shared uh, yesterday uh, on your, on your, uh, on your uh, newsletter? uh, And of course you, broadcast across social media and other outlets as well. But can you summarize the the main, uh, I guess, revelations that uh, your investigation found? Totally. So a lot of the objections to Singas have focused on her, um, sort of the policies that she pursued as Nassau DA. But one thing that's sort of gone undercovered a little bit is, um, you know, whether or not she's been forthcoming in terms of uh, the disclosure of her financial assets. Um, elected officials in Nassau County are required to um, submit every year financial disclosure forms that document their assets, their liabilities, their conflicts of interest, so that the public can consult these forms and, and see if they're like, you know, what, types of interests, financial interests their elected officials have, and if there's any um, intersection with between those interests and the policies that they pursue in office. Unfortunately, Singus was nominated and confirmed in less than two weeks. She was brushed through um, by the governor with the complicity of the state Senate, and Nassau County does not make its the financial disclosure forms of its elected officials available online. And it took me six weeks to get uh, the the forms from them through uh, the freedom of information law that we have in New York. Um, but I did eventually get them. She was already on the court by that time, but I found that um, she did fail to disclose a number of assets that she had uh, mostly uh, real estate holdings owned by herself and her husband as and streams of rental income connected to those assets. Uh, mostly um, there's a two unit building in Astoria. That's actually her childhood home that she owns, co-owns with her sister that she rents out. Um, and then her husband owns a six unit um, rent stabilized building in Ridgewood, Queens uh, that they collect rent on as well. Um, in addition to that, her husband um, works for the shipping and e-commerce firm Pitney Bowes that does a lot of business with Nassau County agencies, um, including the district attorney's office, and she failed to disclose that relationship also. So basically, you could interpret this as a, a violation of Article 18 of the general municipal law, which requires uh, elected officials to accurately uh, disclose their financial interests. Uh, that's a misdemeanor to violate that law. There would have to be an investigation to be conducted into whether or not she had personal knowledge or whether she did this intentionally or whether it was a mistake. Um, but that's kind of difficult to know. Now, the thing is, is that these documents are not sworn statements. So the, the prohibition against perjury does not come into play. Uh, Article 210 of the penal law, which deals with perjury, applies only if you make false statements on on sworn statements or in sworn testimony in court. Now, Has she done that? Well, so when she, the way it works on the Court of Appeals is when, which is the highest court in the state, when there's a vacancy that opens up, um, people that are interested in filling it submit an application to this body called the Commission on Judicial Nomination. The commission reviews the applicant pool, selects a shortlist of finalists, and sends that shortlist to the governor, who must select his nominee from among that list. And one element of the application is a sworn financial statement. And so one thing that we didn't know was whether or not she made these omissions and these misrepresentations 
the ones that she made on her Nassau County forms, did she do the same thing when she applied to the Commission on Judicial Nomination? Um, I've been trying uh, to get that document uh, for a long time. Uh, finally, the executive chamber responded to my freedom of information law request uh, back in May, and they gave it to me. And in fact, she made all of those omissions and more. And so, um, yeah, basically concealing uh, her financial interests, concealing her ownership of these rental properties, rent-stabilized rental properties, which are directly relevant to her job as a judge on the Court of Appeals because of how often the court is asked to weigh in on matters impacting tenants and landlords. And so uh, this is really an it's a classy felony to, pro, to provide false information on a sworn financial statement. So I think this is really strong evidence that, you know, one of the members of the court's right-wing block committed felony perjury during her own confirmation proceedings to sit on that court. Right. And how would you like for the state legislature to respond uh, to these alleged felonies that you've documented? I mean, I think that they should. Uh, it's. A, I mean, there there's a, a reason based on merit and then one based on politics to impeach her and remove her from the court. I mean, there's a number of different avenues. You, there could be complaints filed against her with the Commission on Judicial Conduct. This is the entity that was just looking into De Fiori and which forced her out basically for um, some misdeeds that she's reported to have done. So there can be complaints filed there. There can be complaints filed with the Grievance Board of the Tenth Circuit, um, which covers Nassau County um, with DA's offices. So there's a few avenues to pursue there, but those can take a long time, in my opinion. Um, there's more than enough evidence to to for the state senate if it were interested to impeach and remove her from the bench um just on the merit i mean we need to have the public needs to have confidence in the judiciary it's difficult to have confidence in the judiciary if they you know obviously lie and and subvert the law in public um, and refuse to disclose conflicts of interest um so i think that there's a reason based on merit and then also of course based on politics that you know we have a four to three conservative majority on the highest court in the state, and there's been a lot of great reporting done by New York Focus in particular, which sort of documents this, you know, the rulings that have been coming down over the past uh, several years um, from this conservative majority, which have been in favor of, of landlords, of police, of prosecutors. And, and so there's a real chance to move in a different direction. If we could get, you know, now that DeFiore is off, if we could get Singus off too, um, there's a real chance to sort of claw back the court from this right-wing majority. And so uh, let's pivot to the Court of Appeals itself, Matt. How has it moved in a conservative direction in recent years? Um, Well, it used to actually have a liberal majority. So um, from 2009 to 2016, the chief judge was a guy named Jonathan Littman. Um, And this was at a time he was appointed by former Governor David Patterson. This was at a time when you had a lot of judges that were appointed pre-Cuomo, basically. Um, And the court issued a number of, uh, in the piece, I look specifically at, at Tenant pro-tenant rulings, um, protecting rent-stabilized leases from bankruptcy proceedings, allowing uh, tenants to pursue over, uh, rent overcharges in court, um, uh, protecting um, tenants from various abuses by their landlords. 
in recent years, as the court has moved to the right, they've they've gone in the pro-landlord direction. So in 2019, the state legislature passed a big rent reform package. Uh, the conservative majority struck down a key element of that, which would have allowed um, tenants um, who were the victims of fraud and in some way to pursue damages extending back, you know, for as long as the fraud has been perpetrated, the, the conservative majority limited it to a period of four years. So essentially cutting off, um, you know, years of damages that were, that were done to people that they can no longer pursue in court. Um, they also allowed broker fees to come back. Those were eliminated, um, in the, in the rent reform package and, and, and were restored. And so unfortunately, you know, they're, they're looking out for, and then of course there's, um, there's also been a dramatic reduction in the number of, appeals from criminal defendants that have been heard. Uh, the court at least would used to hear and entertain uh, a much greater number of, of those types of appeals that have just dramatically fallen off, uh, you know, with the influence in particular of of these former prosecutors, both Singus and DeFiori are former district attorneys, very aggressive ones. And so, um, you know, these are there's a lot of decisions that have been coming down recently that are reflective of, of a quite conservative politics that is out of step with this with, you know, what most people in this state would prefer. And talk, can you talk a little bit about the Court of Appeal ruling on redistricting recently? Oh, yes. Yeah. So um, a few years ago. Was, I don't want to get into the details of like the all the process that led to this moment, but basically the state legislature passed a set of maps for the U.S. Cong- congressional districts and also the state legislative districts um, a- after the census, as they do every 10 years. Uh, these districts were drawn to be favorable for Democrats, obviously, um, and it was expected that the court would uphold them, um, even though a lot of uh, or all at the time, or six of the seven had been appointed by Andrew Cuomo. Um, it was expected that, you know, they would, they would, uh, uphold the, the, uh, the maps that were put through. And even under the law, even if you're like me and you believe that like the law is just politics by other means, like the, even the letter of the law seemed to, to indicate that there's no reason to overturn these districts. But yeah, the court took a very aggressive stance through the map, throughout the maps that the legislature had drawn and appointed a special master to redraw them. And so as a result, Republicans are going to have like five more seats in Congress than they would have otherwise. And this was, was shocking that the court would take such an aggressive remedy, um, you know, outsourcing this job to just a person that they randomly picked, I believe from Carnegie Mellon University. Um, very aggressive ruling contemplated nowhere in the state constitution or in any a statutory law. And so and what's funny about that is that a few days before that ruling came down, Andrew Cuomo wrote an editorial in the Daily News urging them to, to rule exactly in that way. Um, and so what that shows is that a lot of his, you know, lackeys are still, you know, he still exercises, unfortunately, from beyond the grave, a big influence uh, over over the politics in New York. Right. He tried to uh, have uh, Janice DiFiori uh, uh, appointed to be sort of the, the co-investigator with uh, Tish James <laughs> into his uh, sexual harassment uh, accusations. Uh, fortunately, that got shot down. But uh, we have to go very, uh, very quickly. I mean, I think we have about maybe another 30 seconds here. But just real quickly, y- your thoughts on how uh, the, the Court of Appeals is mimicking our U.S. Supreme Court with these sort of capricious uh, rulings. Uh, 
uh, these power grabs? And how much will is there in the state legislature to replace DeFiore with a, a progressive uh, chief justice? So we can see well, this in a different direction. But I, try to make, I try to make the case in my piece that I think it's unlikely that the um, the chief judge exercises a lot of influence over the jurisprudence of the court. And Hochul will want somebody in that role that is not going to allow things to go too far to the left. And so she appointed earlier this year a just judge named Shirley Troutman, who's kind of like a moderate liberal. Um, I think she'll want to go even more conservative than that, just to make sure that, you know, the, the Littman court cost her donors a lot of money a few years ago when it was doing all these uh, pro-tenant rulings to avoid that. But I make the case, you know, in the piece that if you want, if she wants to get out from under Cuomo's shadow and, and to sort of um, have her own term as governor, that she should get these people out of there who are trying to sabotage her agenda, no matter what, and put in some judges that are not going to be afraid to play institutional hardball and get aggressive about purging his influence from from the judiciary. So I, I hope that she at least uh, is per- persuaded by her own self-interest, um, but I, I worry that she's uh, too captured by the interests of capital to, to listen. Right. Well, we'll have to leave it there, but uh, Matthew Thomas, uh, author of the Vulgar Marxist Newsletter, we thank you for joining us once again on the Independent News Hour. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. So uh, that uh, wraps it up for today's show. I thank uh, Reggie Johnson, our board operator, and uh, uh, Amba, uh, what's the um, uh, musical outro for today? Today we leave you with Summertime Sadness by Lana Del Rey. <laughs> <laughs>